Amen. Like I said, I'm going to continue on our series called the Beatitudes. Last week, I introduced you uh, to the Sermon on the Mount and the opening text, which I uh, say we call the Beatitudes and which we'll be looking at over the next uh, few weeks. As I shared last week, we know that after Jesus positioned himself on the mountain and after the disciples came to him and chose the better portion, that God opens up his mouth and he begins to teach them. He begins to speak to them. And he talks to them about this thing called blessedness, about a way to experience a fullness of life regardless of our lot in life. Now, I just want to stop there for a second and remind us how privileged we are to have the, the Lord himself willing to speak to us. And how we are privileged to have the Lord himself, Jehovah God, the, the Lord strong and mighty, the, the Holy One of Israel, to, to be willing to open up his mouth and speak to us. We need to consider that a privilege, church, and I hope that we do. Uh, here on the mountainside, he talks about a life joy that is not affected by external forces, a, a peace of mind and a peace of heart, a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory, a peace that passes all understanding. This is what he's talking about when he's speaking to his disciples on the side of the mountain and tells them that there is a blessedness, there is a happiness that you can experience in your life that is outside of anything you might experience in life. And I said it last week, whether you're on the mountaintop or whether you're on the in the valley, there is a blessedness or a state of well-being that can be established in the soil of our soul and not be affected by the circumstance that go around in our life. He's talking about a happiness that is based in heaven and not based on the things of this earth. Listen, Jesus could have opened up his mouth and talked about anything. He could have opened up his mouth and preached a sermon on a thousand different subjects, but he chose the Beatitudes for a reason, and that reason is that Jesus has come that we might have life and have life more abundantly. I believe with all of my heart that he used this sermon to let his people know that I've come for a reason, and it is so that you might have life and have life more abundantly. He chose this sermon to let them know, and especially his disciples to know, that, that through, your, through your life you're going to go through hell and high water. You're going to go through all sorts of difficulties, and, and you're not always going to be living in a bed of roses. And, and, and I'm bringing you this word so that you understand that no matter what you go through in life, no matter where you find yourself, there is a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. There is a peace that passes all understanding. And it is all outlined in this teaching called the Beatitudes. So what we have to understand is that he could have, like I said, talked about a, a thousand different things. But he chooses this, church, to remind the people that the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might be blessed. And so the Bible says this, and seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs, once again, he says, is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now listen, I want you to understand this, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. It's one thing to be spoken of evil because of Jesus, and then it's another thing to be spoken of evil because you're just a fool, and because you're not living like you need to live. This is what I want you to understand. Jesus is telling you that people will speak all sorts of evil against you because of righteousness, and in that if that's the case, you'll be blessed. You're not going to be blessed uh, if you're not living the right way and they're speaking evil over you just because you're not living like you should. I just wanted to throw that in. He says in verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I'm only going to look at verse 3 today. 
But the first thing that I want you to notice is that Jesus did not tell his disciples that happiness could be found at the end of some colorful rainbow. Jesus, in this passage of Scripture and in the Beatitudes, didn't say happiness could be found in a pot of gold or, or, or in a, a pile of great material wealth. He didn't say that popularity was the way to this happiness. He, he didn't say that the pleasures of this world and the things of this world was the way to the heart of happiness either. What you and I need to understand is that Jesus made no external connection to happiness or blessedness in his opening remarks. He was focusing inward. As a matter of fact, Jesus never in his entire ministry, and especially in this sermon, never ties happiness to anything in this world. Jesus, throughout his lifetime of ministry, never associates the things of this world with the kind of happiness that he's talking about. He never, he never associates a peace of mind and a peace of heart and a state of well-being. He never ties that state of spiritual well-being to anything in this world. Anything. He doesn't tie it to the riches of this world. He doesn't tie it to the wealth of this world. He doesn't tie it to the popularity or the fame or the fortune or the pomp or the circumstance of this world. He never ties our spiritual well-being to anything that this world can offer. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. As a matter of fact, in verse, in verse 12, Jesus reminds us that the blessed people that he's talking about, the content people that he's talking about, you can use the word actually happy here that he's referring to. He, he's saying that those people that I'm talking about will actually be rejected by the world, not blessed by the world. They'll be cursed by the world, not blessed by the world. It, it goes on and he says that they will be mocked and ridiculed and insulted and persecuted and even abused by this world and not blessed by this world. Listen, the happiness that Jesus so plainly outlines in these Beatitudes don't come from anything external, don't come from anything temporal. They don't come from anything that is fleeting, anything that's passing away in your life. And what we have to understand is that true contentment and happiness only occupies a heart that is occupied with God. The happiness that Jesus is talking about only occupies the heart of that individual that is occupied with God. We need to realize that, church. The reality is if we aren't occupied with Christ, if we aren't, aren't occupied by God, if we aren't occupied by His Word and by His presence, if we aren't occupied, church, by Christ, we can't experience the kind of happiness that Jesus is talking about, the kind of contentment that he's talking about. I'll say it this way. If our minds, if our hearts, if our homes, if our marriages, if our finances, if our lives, if any area of our life is not occupied, church, with Christ and by Christ, and the, and the interpretation or the definition of this word occupied, when you, you look at the biblical definition, it means filled, it means seized, or it means held in possession by God. So in other words, what I'm saying is that if, if our minds and our hearts and our homes and our lives and our marriages and every area of our life is not seized by God, if it's not occupied by God, if it's not in, held in possession by God Jehovah, then we can't be happy. You, you can't be content. I want you to understand that if your marriage, listen, isn't held by God, if it's not been seized by God and captured by God, if it is not part of His possession, that marriage will not experience contentment and happiness. Your life the same way. No area of your life. I want you to understand the depth of that word occupied. If our life is not occupied or seized by God Himself, we cannot experience this happiness and this contentment that Jesus is talking about, church. Remember, as we learned last week, according to Jesus himself, Martha was occupied. He even used that word. Martha was occupied with all the wrong things. Her time, her talents, her attention, her heart, everything about her was occupied by all of the wrong things. Her possessions, you might say, were seized by all the wrong things. Her attention was seized by all the wrong things, things that were fleeting, things that were not important, according to what Christ said. Christ said, you're occupied with all the wrong things. You're preoccupied with all of the wrong things. While Mary was occupied with Christ. Mary chose the better portion like we learned last week, and it's where blessedness begins. It begins as a possession of Jesus Christ. 
And that's what I want to set as the foundation before I even get into chapter 3. If you want to experience the goodness of God and the, the blessedness of God, if you want to experience that, that, that well-being, that state of well-being that will get you through the worst of days, you must be held as a position, possession of Jesus Christ. You must be His. I want you to understand that, that that is the foundation for, for the happiness that we're talking about. Please understand, this world cannot offer the life joy that Jesus is preaching about, that Jesus opened up his mouth and talked about, because this world is temporal, because this world is fleeting, because this world is passing away, and it cannot bring contentment to an eternal soul. The reality is, please understand, church, that which is temporal cannot satisfy that which is eternal. That which is passing away cannot satisfy or bring contentment to that which is eternal. How many of you know your soul is eternal? Your body might not be eternal. Your body is aging. Your body is decaying. Your body is on the way to the grave. I hate to tell you that. I hate to remind myself of that. But this physical body is on its way to the grave. But our soul is eternal. And it's either headed to heaven or it's headed to hell. Our soul will live forever, church. And here's what we have to understand what the Bible is trying to teach us. And what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples is that there is nothing about this temporal world that can ever satisfy the eternal soul. There's nothing that this world can offer you that will quench the thirsting of this eternal soul, church. Because all of that stuff's passing away, but your soul will last forever. How can anything temporal satisfy the eternal? How can anything that's passing away ever satisfy that which lasts forever? How can a temporal world satisfy an eternal soul? And the answer is, it can't. It absolutely can't, church. The, the reality is, please listen to me, it's why one drink of this world is never enough. It's why one pill in this world is never enough. It's why one peek at pornography is never enough. It's why one month's subscription to Playboy magazine isn't enough. It's why one lie isn't enough. It's why one affair isn't enough. It's why one pleasurable moment isn't enough in this world. Because this world cannot satisfy the longings of an eternal soul. You need to understand that one puff, one shot, one pill... One night stand, none of that will satisfy the eternal soul. But it's where we seem to live so often. We think that the things of this world can satisfy the longings of an eternal soul. We think the things that are destined for destruction. We think the things that are passing away. We think the things that are fleeting and might not be here tomorrow have the power to satisfy an eternal soul. And the sad reality is we chase after these things. The sad reality is we think these are the things that will make us happy and these are the things that will make me content. If I could just make one more dollar, then I might be happy. If I could have one more this or do this one, uh, then I'll be happy. And the reality is no, it can't happen. All of those pursuits are fleeting. Please understand me, Solomon, the wisest, he tried it. He threw himself into the world. Yeah, I know we all think that he was one of the wisest, righteous, most righteous men. But study his life. You'll find out that he threw himself into this world. He enjoyed wine, women, and strong drink. He threw himself into the world to, to really see if this world could satisfy the soul. And when it was all said and done, he said, wow, it's all vanity. It's all a lie. None of it satisfies the longing of my soul. Because the reality is there is nothing temporal that can satisfy an eternal soul. You and I, every day, better wake up with the realization that my soul is headed for eternity. You and I, every single day, better get on our mind that this soul will last forever. I think we think sometimes that I'm just going to lay down one day and it'll all be done. But I want you to know when that day comes and you breathe your last breath, your soul, your soul will still live on. And it will live in one place or another. And it's why we need to be careful to order our soul today so it spends eternity in the right place. Listen, again, like I said, the truth is there is nothing about this passing world that can satisfy the eternal soul. No amount of money, no amount of popularity, no amount of earthly pleasure, treasure this world can offer has the ability to satisfy the soul. Only, listen, the everlasting Father. Why do you think he was called the everlasting father? 
Because he's the only one that can satisfy an eternal soul. We spend so much of our time and so much of our money and so much of our efforts and so much of our attention. We, we spend so much of our time going after these temporal things when there's only one that can satisfy the eternal soul and it is the everlasting Father. It's the one who was and is and is still to come. The only one that can satisfy the longing of your heart is the one who's called the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. The only one that can satisfy the longing of your soul, church, is the one who is called the author and the finisher of your faith. The only one that can satisfy the the thirsty and fill the hungry with all good things, the Bible says. It's the only one. And this really is what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And I'm going to get to that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says. For everything about the kingdom is theirs. And everything about the kingdom will be theirs. When you read it and study it, and I'm not going to get too much into it, but in this verse he's talking present tense and future tense. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about you being able to experience the kingdom of heaven today, right now, right here. And he's talking about experiencing the kingdom of heaven when you breathe your last breath and your soul goes to its final destination. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs right now, tomorrow, next year, and when the trumpet blows and God calls them home. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Please notice in this verse that Jesus went internal, like I've said, and not external. Blessed are they that have something on the inside, he's saying. In this verse, he pointed right to the center of our soul. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He pointed right to the center of our soul. He didn't point to anything around us. He didn't point to the car in my driveway, didn't point to the house I live in, didn't point to the clothes I have on my back, didn't point to the shoes or the purse or the hat, didn't point to my bank account, didn't point to anything except the center of my soul. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, actually. He didn't say blessed are the rich. He didn't say, blessed are the poor monetarily either. Please grasp this, and I'm going to talk on it. He didn't associate blessedness with any form of money, whether a lot or a little, whether much or none. He didn't say, blessed are the poor monetarily. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He didn't say, blessed are those that drive a nice car. And he didn't say, blessed are those who have no car at all. He didn't say, blessed are those who wear a three-piece suit, and he didn't say, blessed are those who can't afford one. He didn't say that. He wasn't talking about money. He was talking about the spiritual condition of our soul. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for those, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Jesus does not tie blessedness to anything in this world. He doesn't tie it to material wealth. And he doesn't tie to material poverty either. He ties it to the eternal kingdom and not to this temporal world. He ties blessedness, church, to a right relationship with the eternal Father. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I want us to understand that that right relationship with God, that right relationship with the eternal Father... That right relationship with Jehovah, the creator of the universe, the one that gives you life and breath and causes you to walk through the day, all of that starts, that right relationship with Jehovah God starts with a poor spirit. starts with a poor spirit, a spirit that recognizes its own spiritual need and is willing to do something about it. So who are the poor in spirit? Like I said, First off, it's not those who are poor in the pocket, because Jesus isn't talking about money. It's not about those who can't pay their bills. It's not about those who can't keep on the lights. It's not about those who don't have a lot of money in their bank account. It's, it's got nothing to do with money in this passage of Scripture. Listen, I know, I know several poor people. I know, I know poor people and I know rich people, just like you do. I know rich people that are unhappy and I know poor people that are unhappy. I know poor people that can't keep on the can't keep on the lights and they're not satisfied with their lot in life. I want you to just understand that that Jesus isn't talking monetarily. He's not saying you're blessed because you're rich and he's not saying you're blessed because you're poor. What he's saying is blessed are those who are poor in spirit. 
for theirs is the kingdom of God. So Jesus is not talking about a financial position of poverty. He's not talking about a financial position of wealth. He's talking about a spiritual one. He's focused on the inner man here. That's what he wants the disciples and the people in this crowd that are listening to what he speaks. He wants them to look right here. He wants them to be like David that's willing to look right here and said, Search me, O God. I want you to understand that God always wants you to be attentive of your own soul. He wants you every single day to be attentive to the condition of the soil of your soul. Just like you plant a plant in the backyard. Just like you plant a tree. Just like you put your money in a bank account and you want to see it grow. Just like you check on your bank balance every single day to make sure it's growing or to keep an eye on it. He wants you to do the same thing with the soil of your soul. But the sad reality is some of us look more at the things of this world and our earthly treasures than we do at the very soil of our soul. And Jesus is saying, look, get your eyes off of that and get your eyes right here. I told you at the beginning of this series that Jesus needed to turn upside down the way that they thought. He had to change their way of thinking. He had to transform them by the renewing of the mind. And a new mind says, look, I better be more concerned with the condition of my soul than I am with anything else out there. Because if my soul is right... It doesn't matter what else is out there. I'll still be happy and I'll still be blessed. Because what? Because mine is the kingdom of heaven. Because mine is the kingdom of heaven. You can take away everything that I've got, but I've still got the kingdom of heaven. You can put me in a hospital bed, but i still got the kingdom of heaven. You can strip away my bank account, but i still got the kingdom of heaven. You can ruin my life, but i still got the kingdom of heaven. This is what he's trying to teach his disciples. And no matter what you go through in your life, there is a joy that you can cling to, a joy that you can stand on, a confidence that you have that cannot be taken away. But if your heart's not right, you can't experience that. If you're not poor in spirit, if your spirit again, has not been seized by Jesus... You can't experience what he's talking about here. So this is what he's trying to teach. He's not looking financial. He's looking spiritual. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The word Jesus used for poor, when he was speaking about the poor in spirit, describes an absolute poverty. Absolute poverty. It means that this individual has absolutely nothing to their name. They own absolutely nothing. Everything they have has been provided for by someone else. This is what he's talking about. But again, remember, he's not talking monetarily. He's not talking about mammon. He's not talking about earthly possessions. He's talking about our spirit here. And I want you to understand that parallel. But he's talking about an absolute poverty. He's talking about an individual who possesses absolutely nothing. The root word to this word poor that Jesus uses means to crouch or to cower. It means to crouch or to cower like the beggar you see on the side of the street. Begging for alms. Begging for a dime. Begging for a quarter. Begging for a meal. Begging for something from somebody else. They've been brought so low because of their physical uh, poverty. And again, I'm not talking about, but, but he's making a parallel. This word that he's talking about, I want you to understand the severity of this poverty that he's speaking. It's a poverty so severe that it brings you to your knees, church, and, and, and causes you to rely on someone else's labor and someone else's grace. You have to realize a true beggar, I know there's a lot of fake beggars out there. I'm talking about a true beggar. His existence, his very existence relies on someone else's labor and someone else's grace. And without that labor and without that grace, he'll perish. I want you to make that same parallel to us spiritually. This is what Jesus is talking about spiritually. That the poor in spirit have come to that understanding that without Jesus Christ, without His labor and without His love, they're absolutely nothing. You see, when he's talking about poor in spirit, it means that that individual understands that there's nothing about them that has not been provided to them except through Jesus Christ and except through someone else. Spiritually, again, I'm talking uh, is what I'm talking. Their very existence depends on the mercy of other men, and they'll do whatever they have to to acquire it. 
This is what it means to be poor in spirit, church. So, so the poor in spirit that Jesus is speaking of, I'm going to read this, understand, understands that there is nothing they can do for themselves to inherit the kingdom of heaven or happiness. And they must solely rely on the work of Jesus Christ to obtain it. Let me say it again. The poor in spirit that Jesus is speaking of understand that there is nothing they can do for themselves to inherit the kingdom of God or happiness and must solely rely on the work of Jesus Christ to acquire it. The poor in spirit understand that their righteousness is like filthy rags. The poor in spirit that Jesus is talking about understands that there are none that are righteous, no, not one, and they they count themselves in that equation. You see, the poor in spirit understand that they themselves, not just that everyone, but they themselves have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, the only way that you're going to inherit the kingdom of God starts right here. The only way you're ever going to see the kingdom of heaven is by having a heart that's poor enough to say, ain't nothing about me that deserves heaven. You have to understand that that to to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be poor in spirit. And you have to realize that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all of my righteousness, that all of my good deeds, that all of my good works are like filthy rags and I need a new set of clothes. You understand what I'm saying? Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, you see something filthy about you and you realize I need a new set of clothes, but I can't provide them. I can't buy them. I can't acquire them. All I can do is ask. Ask God to give them to me. I got to cower. I got to lower myself and say, God, like the publican, have mercy on me. I need a new set of clothes. You understand what I'm saying? This is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. He doesn't want a bunch of haughty men walking out there on the earth. He'll never, he, Jesus knows I'll never advance the kingdom of God. I'll never change this world if these 12 men aren't changed first. I'll never turn the world upside down like he did if I don't turn their thinking upside down. And you'll never change your world. You'll never change your house. You'll never change your circle of influence if you don't turn your thinking upside down either. If you don't receive what God is trying to teach us concerning poverty of spirit. They understand that there are none that are righteous. And I'm part of that equation, like I said. The poor in spirit understand that regardless, regardless of their life's achievements, regardless of their life's accomplishments, regardless of how many worldly accolades they have acquired and attained in life, how much applause that they have received, they understand that without Jesus Christ, without the blood, without the cross, without the precious Lamb of God, I am still wretched, I am still pitiful, I am still poor, I am still blind, and I am still naked. That's who the poor in spirit are. They understand that without Jesus Christ, I am nothing, but with Him I am everything. This is what the poor in spirit are And this is what Jesus is saying When you have a I don't want to get ahead of myself Blessed are the poor in spirit For theirs is the kingdom of heaven Because they're willing Listen, the poor in spirit Recognize and realize their spiritual condition And because of that spiritual condition Because of that realization in their life They're willing to place themselves At the door of God's mercy And knock you see, there's a lot of people that, that know there's something wrong in their life. There's a lot of people that recognize, ah, something's just not going right in my life. Things are a mess. This is falling apart. That's falling apart. But listen, they're not willing to knock on the door of God's mercy. They're not willing to lower themselves enough because they think, I'll, I'll finally figure this out. Uh, maybe I've just asked the wrong person. Maybe this, maybe that. Maybe I can manipulate. Maybe, 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 me, 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 me. Maybe I can change my situation. And they have yet to knock on the door of God's mercy. You see, but I want you to understand the poor in spirit recognize their spiritual condition and they're willing to knock on the door of God's mercy. They're willing to approach the door of God's grace and ask. The Bible says, knock, and it'll be open. says, ask, and you shall receive. But there's a lot of individuals, even in the house of God, that aren't willing to knock, and they're not willing to ask. The poor in spirit are willing to ask God. They're willing to ask.
ask the Father for a new set of clothes. They're willing to ask the Father for a little bit of mercy and a little bit of grace because without it, I'm lost. Without it, I'm helpless. Without it, I'm hopeless. Without it, I'm poor. And so they recognize their own spiritual condition. Listen, until you recognize your spiritual condition, don't ever think about seeing heaven. Until you, this is what the Bible's teaching. If you can't see your own spiritual need, you'll never see heaven. If you can't see your own spiritual poverty, if you can't see your own spiritual bankruptcy, guess what? You got no need for a savior. You got no need for the precious Lamb of God. You got no need for the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you have no need of that, don't expect to see the kingdom of heaven. You must see your need, your spiritual need, like Jesus did. Why do you think he sat down on the mountain? Because he saw their need. He knew they needed to hear this word. He knew he had to teach them and preach it to them. He saw their need. And he placed himself on the mountain and he began to speak these words to them. And until we can see the same in our life, we won't be blessed. Until we see the same need for a Savior, we'll still struggle through our entire life, church. Unlike the Laodiceans in Revelations chapter 317 who said, I am rich and I have acquired much wealth and I do not need a single thing. The poor in spirit understand that they're in need of much. And they understand that they can't provide it for themselves. They can only acquire it through Jesus Christ. You see, I know a lot of you have heard that term, you know, stop resting on your laurels. Whether you know what that means or not, it is a Greek term, and it, and it began in Bible times. You see, what, what resting on your laurels means is that it's resting on your own accomplishments and resting on your own achievements. The, the crowns and the wreaths that they used to win uh, or be awarded at the end of a race or at the end of a competition was a big laurel wreath or a big crown made out of laurels. And, and so what it's saying here is when you rest on your laurels, you're resting on your own accomplishments. You're resting on your own accolades. You're resting on your past achievements and past applauses and past victories. And how many of you know you're not going to get to heaven that way? How many of you understand if you sit around and you just rest on your own accomplishments and rest on your own accolades and rest on your own achievements and rest on your own work and rest on your own skill, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Because you and I can't get there on our own. You can't win enough earthly races. You can't come in enough times first place in, in anything in this world that grants you access to the kingdom of God. You can't rest on your laurels, church, but that's what's happening. That's what happened. They rested on the crowns that they had acquired on their own. They gloried in their own achievements and their own accomplishments and their own accolades, and they felt like they needed nothing. This was the Laodicean church. That's what they felt. I don't need anything earthly, and I don't need anything spiritually. You see, the, the, the sad reality is there is a truth to the richer you get, the farther from God you can get. Because when, when, when we're fat and everything's well and the bank account's good and marriage is good and got the nice car and I'm caught up on all of my bills, we can get lazy with God. We can feel like just because, please grasp this, we can feel like just because everything is A-OK out here. Ah, oh, and I'm all shiny and bright in here. You know who thought that? The Pharisees. The Pharisees thought that same exact thing. Oh, because everything is nice and shiny out here. And Jesus said, you know what? You got death inside. He looked at their life. Again, Jesus doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the inside. That's why he's teaching this lesson. He looks on the inside. Just like he told the Pharisees, you, see, you know, you look all good and hot on the outside, but you're dead man's, you're, you're dead man on the inside. You just... Your whitewashed sepulcher. This is what we have to understand. God is looking at the inside, and that's what this whole series, or this is what this whole Beatitude is about. He's trying to get us focused on the inside so that our life and our heart could be transformed. But the poor in spirit rely fully and depend fully on the love and the labor of Jesus Christ. Fully and wholly on the love and the labor of Jesus Christ. I hope you understand the cross was a demonstration of His love. It was, it was a labor to go to the cross. Jesus' whole life was a labor of love. It, his whole life w was, was focused on one thing, and it was the cross of Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand it was His work. 
It was his love. It was his labor. It was his sacrifice. It was his righteousness. It was everything about Jesus and is everything about Jesus that makes us righteous. That gives us access to the kingdom of God. And I'm just trying to get you to understand. I know you know this. But making the point that it is nothing about us, but everything about Jesus Christ. And the poor in spirit understand that. Spiritual poverty that Jesus is referring to is also found in Luke 7, verse 37 to 39. You all know this story. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's house. The Bible says she brought with her an alabaster jar of perfume or an alabaster box. And entering in the house, she fell at Jesus' feet weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them dry with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. Simply because she understood the condition of her own soul. She was not like the Laodiceans that said, Oh, I'm I'm rich in spirit and I'm rich in my pocketbook. She understood her spiritual condition. She understood the depths of her personal poverty spiritually. She understood how, how bankrupt she was spiritually, church. And it drove her to do something about it. She understood that she needed something that she could not acquire and provide on her own. She understood that all the perfume in the world could not purchase what she needed. And what she needed was grace. What she needed was mercy. What she needed she could not provide or acquire on her own. So she, she, she actually pours it out. She pours out the most valuable thing that she has at the feet of the only individual that was able to give her everything that she needed. And we have to learn to do the same thing. I hope you didn't, I didn't confuse you with that. The point is, this woman, she had something of great value. But no matter how valuable it was, she knew it was not nearly enough to acquire what she needed. She needed grace. She needed mercy. She needed something to happen in the soil of her soul. She had slept with a whole bunch of men in order to get that perfume. She had given herself to a whole bunch of people in order to try to... Uh, to, to, to uh, Bring some security into her life. Well, I can, I can live off of this. I can eat off of this. I, I can have a future off of this. And she gave away everything that was valuable to her to find that it wasn't enough. And here she is with the most valuable the thing that she has. And she still realizes it's not enough to acquire or purchase what I need. So she was willing to pour it out at the feet of the only one that could give for her freely what she needed. Mercy and grace. And we have to learn to do the same thing. It's what the poor in spirit do. They realize that no matter what I have, it's not enough to acquire what I need. I need a little bit of Jesus. I need a little bit of mercy. I need a little bit of grace. And the more they think about it, the lower they get. The more they think about it, they understand that by myself, I'm a beggar spiritually. By myself, I'm nothing. And i got to go to Jesus to find what I need. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. But the reality is so many of us today, even, yes, even in the house of God, we hold on to those earthly things that have no value compared to the things of God, afraid to let them go. Because we think those things are the things that will make me happy. We think those things are the things that will satisfy. We think those are the things that will make me content. We think those are the things that will bring security into my life. We think those are the things that will make me sleep better at night and be happier during the day. Only to find that they're fleeting. Only to find that they go as quicker quicker than they came. Jesus is trying to teach the disciples, get your eyes off the wrong things. Get your eyes on your soul. And then when you see what's wrong here, you'll get a better idea of what you need and where to go. Do you understand what I'm saying? That woman knew where to go. She knew there was something about that man, Jesus. And she heard that he was at a Pharisee's house, and she thought, that's where I'm going to go. She poured it all out at the feet. Of the, listen to me. Everything you need is found at the feet of Jesus Christ. Everything you need is found at the foot of the cross. Everything you need is found on Golgotha's Hill at this place called Calvary Church. Everything we need. Why do you think Jesus told Martha that his, her sister chose the better portion? 
Because Martha understood everything that I need right now. This moment of my life is found at the feet of Jesus. I hope you can put all this together. It's why Jesus said, listen, you're, you're seized by all the wrong things, Martha. You're occupied with all the wrong things. You're possessed by all the wrong things. I want you to find a place at my feet so I can give you everything that you need. This is what the, the whole Beatitudes about, and especially being poor in spirit, is all about. The reality is, listen, all of us are born poor in spirit. But only those who recognize it and move on it, like this woman with the alabaster box, can find happiness. When that woman left, she left satisfied. When that woman left, the longing of her soul had been filled with, with something she had never experienced in her life. I want you to understand that, that this woman found what she was looking for because she recognized her spiritual condition and didn't just sit home and pout about it. She moved on it and did whatever she had to in order to find what she needed. You see, we've got to be willing to do the same thing. Crying and whining the blues about our situation and our spiritual condition doesn't cut it. We've got to be willing to be moved by what we see and go after what we need, church. That's what do you think the house of God is for. It's a place where you can come and find the grace of God. It's a place where you can come and find the mercy of God. It's the place that you can come and receive and acquire the very thing you don't deserve. And I don't deserve. I don't deserve His mercy. I don't deserve His grace. And neither do you. But we can find it at His feet. That's what he's trying to teach us, and it's what the poor in spirit understand. Please understand this. They are happy not because of their spiritual poverty. When I say blessed are the poor in spirit, or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, please understand they're happy or blessed not because of their spiritual poverty. Not because they are wretched, not because they're pitiful, not because they're, they're blind or they're naked, not because they're helpless, not because they're hopeless, not because they're spiritual bankrupt. God's not, there's nothing, nothing to be happy about with that. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that we're happy because of these things, but because of the grace that God has given unto me. And because the kingdom is part of that grace. You see, that's what we have to understand. The greatest part of God's grace is the kingdom of heaven. That's the greatest part of God's grace. It's to know that when eternity comes, or, and I'm faced with eternity, that I can spend it in the presence of God instead of separated. That's the, that's the greatest part of God's grace, to know that when I breathe my last breath, I will spend eternity in the presence of a caring, loving God. And that's what the poor in spirit, please, I just want you to grasp it. It's what the poor in spirit understand. They, they are happy because of the grace that God has given to them, and they're happy because they know the kingdom of God is theirs. It's like I said earlier. It doesn't matter what else you go through in life. You can be happy because the kingdom of God is yours. When the devil comes against you and he begins to do all sorts of evil against you and he begins to like sow seeds of sadness into your life, you literally can look at him and say, you know what, Satan? I still got the kingdom of God. I still have the kingdom of heaven. You can take away this, 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 but I still have the kingdom of heaven. That's what being poor in spirit understands. The poor in spirit are happy and blessed because they know the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Not through their own labor, but through the labor and love of Jesus Christ. And that's what they boast in. And that's what you and I should boast in as well. I'm not ending yet, but I'm going to start winding down. Jeremiah says in chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he, under, that he understands and knows me, and that I am the Lord. You see, the reality is the poor in spirit understand that the only thing they have to boast about in life is God. It's the only thing. The only thing that the poor in spirit, the true poor in spirit, understand they have to boast about is the labor of God's the love and the labor of God it's God's grace it's God's mercy it's everything it's the only thing that I should be boasting in 
But I don't know why it is, boy, we get so caught up in boasting on ourselves, boasting on such great accomplishments, boasting on what we wear, boasting on what we drive, boasting on what we live in. Some people even boast that they're poor. I'm poorer than you are. And they, 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 they tend to equate poverty with righteousness for some reason. And it doesn't say that anywhere in Bible. It does say that it's very difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, but it doesn't say that it's easy for a poor man to enter into the kingdom of God. You have to understand that. There's a lot of people out there boasting their poverty, and they think it makes them more righteous just because I don't have things. Well, that's not necessarily true. I know as many wicked poor people as I do righteous, uh, rich people. So you have to understand what God's speaking here. He's not saying, even though he might tell some people, go, like he did the rich man, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and he walked away sad because he wasn't willing to separate himself. But I want you to understand God's not talking about that here. You don't acquire the kingdom of heaven because you're rich, and you don't acquire the kingdom of heaven because you're poor either, monetarily. You acquire the kingdom of heaven because you are poor in spirit, because you understand that on my, on my own, I can't, I can't acquire heaven. On my own, no matter who I am, I cannot acquire heaven, church. Here's what we need to understand. If there's anything to boast in, it's to boast in God. David points to this in Psalm 62, verse 9, when he says, Low-born men are but a breath. And the high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are both nothing. It causes us to understand again, look, at every spectrum of life, top or bottom, rich or poor, black or white, doesn't matter, anything outside, doesn't matter. None of that has anything to do with the kingdom of heaven. Because when we're put in the balance, no matter what we have acquired on our own, the Bible says we're still nothing. And the, the poor in spirit realize that. They realize and understand that without God, I am nothing. The poor in spirit, like I said earlier, know they need a new set of clothes, whether they're rich or whether they're poor. And I'm ending with this. Why do you think Jesus said, let the little children come unto me and don't stop them? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or... For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these, the Bible says. And I know when we read that, we typically think that that verse has to do with coming to God with the faith of a little child. And that's absolutely right. He wants us to have the faith of a child. But I also want you to understand that, that, that this passage of Scripture refers specifically to those that are poor in spirit as well. Because if there's anyone that is poor in spirit, it's a little child. If there is anyone that cannot exist on their own, it's a little child. If there's, a, if there's anyone who is nothing on their own, it's a little child. If there's anyone that needs help, it's a little child. Here's what you need to understand, church, that, that a little child needs someone to provide for them. A little child needs someone else to take care of them. A little child needs someone else to protect them. A little child needs someone else to feed them and, and, and dress them. A little child needs mom and dad. Everything a child has is provided by the parent or through someone else's love and labor. And the poor in spirit understand the same exact thing. The poor in spirit understand, I need someone else. I need the love and the labor of Jesus Christ in my life. And because they understand that, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because they know that without God, I'm nothing. But with Jesus, mine is the kingdom of heaven. If you're thankful for the kingdom, I want you to stand to your feet this evening. Because here's what we're going to pray. You see, I believe all of us can look at ourselves. All of us tonight can ask, ask ourselves this very question. Am I truly poor in spirit? Do I truly, honestly, fully and wholly rely on the work of Jesus Christ? Have I truly recognized the spiritual condition of my soul? And do I, am I careful to check it out every single day? Because if we don't, church, we can miss it. If we're not willing to examine the soil of our soul, 
If we're not willing to be reminded that I need Jesus on a regular basis, we risk the kingdom of heaven. So tonight, here's what I'm just asking you to do as we pray. Just examine yourself. Just, just tell the Lord, God, I, poor in spirit, say this. I need you, God. I need you. I need you. I need you in my marriage because I can't do it on my own. I need you in this business because I don't have enough wisdom. I need you when I go to witness because I'm afraid. I need you. That's what the poor in spirit do. They say, Jesus, I need you. If you need him tonight, I just want you to tell him that. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word this evening, God. And I thank you, Father God, that throughout this whole week, Lord, I mean, you reminded me of this very word. You reminded me, Father God, that, that, that during the week when all these just little things came into my life, the little foxes, someone reminded me that they are, to just nibble away at my life, to come against my peace and come against my joy or come against my family, God. In the midst of it all, you reminded me in my studies that mine is still the kingdom of heaven and that I can still be happy that I can still be joyous, that I can still have a, a, a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory and a peace that passes all understanding. Let us, Father God, always be mindful of the fact that ours is the kingdom of heaven as long as we are yielded to you, as long as we are your possession, as long as you have seized us, God, and we are your children, God, ours is the kingdom of heaven. I thank you for that, God. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would teach us, God, on a regular basis to examine the soil of our soul, that we would recognize each and every day, Father God, how much we desperately need you. We desperately need you for healing. We desperately need you for our marriages. We desperately need you, Father God, to work in our government and in our land. We desperately need you in our schools. We desperately need you in our society. We desperately need you, Father God, in our families. We desperately need you to intervene in our sons and in our daughters' lives and in our loved ones' lives. We desperately need you, God. And I'm not, Father God, ashamed to say I can't do it on my own. I need you tonight, God. We all need you tonight, God. Let us not be so proud. Let us not be so haughty. Let us not be so stubborn. That we stand there in your presence thinking that I am rich. Thinking that I've acquired everything that I need. That I'm all that in this world and spiritually. Help us to understand we need you, God. Desperately we need you. I pray, Father, that you would take these words tonight. And that you would, Father God, plant them in the soil of our soul. That they would be a daily reminder, Father God, of who we should be and who we need to be if we want to experience blessedness and happiness in our lives. Let not one seed from your word be snatched away, God. I pray that we would all receive it with gladness tonight. And God, throughout this week, that we would water it. Throughout this week, we, Father God, would soak it in prayer and 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 that we would just give it everything that it needs, God. Every opportunity it needs to grow into our lives. I thank you, Father God, that ours is the kingdom of heaven. Not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that you've done. Because of your labor of love concerning each and every one of us in this room, God. And because of it, we give you the praise. Because of it, we give you the glory. Because of it, we can leave here, Father, with a smile on our face. We can leave here, Father God, with a dance in our step. We can leave here, Father God, with gladness in our heart because we know the kingdom of heaven is ours. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. And let's bless the Lord together. Hallelujah. Amen.